Welcome to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns. Real people, real voices, real lives. Discussing mental health, addiction and disability in the community. Your weekly window to the real world. Welcome to Take It From Us. Welcome to Take It From Us, a program that's been going for the past 20 years. We encourage positive wellness and participation of people of lived experience of mental distress. Now, I know a number of you are probably wondering where Sheldon is. Sheldon Brown did a tremendous job of hosting this program for 20 years. He's decided to step back at this time. My name is Kent Johns, and with producer Karen Murphy, it is our privilege to bring you this program each and every week. Now, a little bit about me. I live here in Auckland uh, with a young family. I was involved in sports broadcasting for 20 years. And then at the end of about 2017, I kind of fell into Christmas, got to the holidays, talked to my partner and said, look, Laura, I need to make some changes. I can't keep going the way that I'm going. Um, we had a young daughter at the time. We were expecting our second child. I was working on a breakfast radio program, tremendous job, loved it to bits, but the hours were very, very demanding. I had no energy. I was knackered all of the time. So I made a choice to go and talk to a dietitian who I trusted and who I knew, and I, I almost begged her. I said, please, can you help me find some more energy? I need to be present around my family at home. I, I need some help. So essentially what we did was we changed what I was eating. The results were profound. And what happened to me was I started to exercise more. I had a a greater outlook on life. And I decided that, you know what, I want to actually help people figure this thing out for themselves. I knew so many of my mates and so many men, particularly in their 40s and 50s, who were struggling like I was. How can I help? What can I do to get the message out there to people that, hey, look, we need to be engaged in health, we need to look after each other, and we also need to look after ourselves. So I decided to change careers. I'm now a professional health coach. I work with individuals, and I help them come up with ways in which they can lead a truly healthy life that is full of contentment. I also do a lot of public speaking just to get the message out there that being healthy matters. It matters and we need to make an effort. We need to look after ourselves and each other and that that should not be taken for granted. To me, optimism is the key driver to personal change and if we think good things are possible, chances are they will be. You know, I, I know the adage that it takes a village to raise a child. I also know this is true too. It takes a village to support an adult. We need to support each other. Here at Take It From Us, this is your village. We're really looking forward to hearing your stories. We're looking forward to sharing our our own stories and, of course, leaning on each other as best we can during these times. Uh, Really looking forward to hearing from you. You know, any ideas that you have, please share them with us on Facebook at Take It From Us. We value your input to our program. It's, it's very exciting to be here. Karen and I feel greatly privileged that we've been given this opportunity and we are going to contribute as best we can to our social discourse and to the conversations that men and women are having on the street each week. It's going to be really, really good. Uh, time to get cracking. Our very first guest on Take It From Us for 2022 is a man that has a, has a really interesting story. He comes from a troubled background, but he's managed to turn his life around, and he is now fighting the good fight in South Auckland for a lot of people and doing some great things. He's Dave Latelli. Take it from us and our special guest, our very first guest for our brand new radio program is Dave Latelli. He's the founder of BBM Motivation in South and West Auckland. He works with public health and service providers across Auckland to improve the health outcomes for Kiwis who are dealing with obesity and chronic health conditions. And there are many people like that in Auckland and right across New Zealand. Uh, Dave Latelli, uh, great privilege to have you on the program. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What's what's top of mind at the moment? What's happening in the community? Uh, top of mind is, you know, with obviously with the this outbreak and the numbers that we're seeing, you know, we've seen a, a massive influx in our the demand for our isolation parcels, and our, our you know we've got a we started a food it's a food bank, but I call it a, a food share because we share everything. We started it uh, at the start of this pandemic. Um, and it's just, yeah, the demand's through the, it's just gone through the roof, so it's just non-stop. Um, so that's always at the top of my mind. It's, it's um, yeah, I'm, I, I go to sleep and I dream about it, you know. It's, um, 
yeah, no, it's very uh, taxing on mm. on my mental health. That's for sure. What what sort of help do you need at the moment? Oh, you know, it's 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 monetary, you know, or, or food, because you know we get some support from Ministry of Social Development, which we appreciate. But it's uh, you know, if we want to give out a, a food parcel to a family with with enough food to last them a week, with you know it costs a lot more than what we're getting. So the, the, the stress for us is making sure that we can mm. access, you know, we get donations, um, you know, through our corporate sponsors um, and just being able to, you know, I pride myself on what we give. You know, if it's got our BBM name on it, I want to make sure that it has, you know, good healthy food in it for a family that's isolating and, and doing the right thing, you know. Mm. And how, how does your role go between... The, the stuff that you're doing every day, but also having to get into the ears of the right people and bend their ears and, and, and put your case forward. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just really through social media, you know, even what we're doing with this, you know, the, the online studio. My role really is keeping our profile up and doing things like this and, um, you know, illustrating, especially on LinkedIn, you know, just really illustrating what's happening. Lots of people, bubbles existed long before covid um, you know, people just really at the top had no idea what's happening down at the bottom. So we like to highlight. It's through no one else's fault, you know, it's through no one's fault. They just don't understand what's happening down at the ground floor for a lot of people. So I use social media to really illustrate what's happening um, and, you know, show the work that we're doing. And, it, and it's, uh, you know, when people trust the work that you're doing, it's a little bit easier to get support. I know that you've talked about wanting your people to feel safe. That's that's one of the primary drivers for you, is, is that they feel safe. What does that look like? Well, it's really just around not being judged. You know, I wanted to create an environment where, you know, I started at a gym called Body Talk years ago. I started Habitat for Fitness and then Body Talk and both those places. The training was really hard, but I, I never felt judged and I was really overweight, you know, in a, in a, in a bad way. Mentally, I didn't, I'd lost my children and, you know, I just hated my life. But while I was training and especially while I was there, I felt uh, okay. You know, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about how bad my life was and I, I never felt judged. I felt supported. And so I thought to myself, although eight years ago, I said, geez, if, if we ever do something, I wouldn't, I would, I like it to be like this. And so that's what we've created where, you know, people of all shapes and sizes, all walks of life. You know, you can have gang members and chairmen of boards and CEOs all training together, you know, and, and there's no judgment. And, um, you know, we all have that common goal and common cause of wanting to be the best version of ourselves and, and supporting others to do the same. What's been the key to success for you in terms of helping people turn their lives around? For me, it's just about leading by example. You know, I don't ask anyone to do something I've never done or not willing to do myself. Um, and, and that's that's really what it is. You know, I'm down there, I'm, I'm with the people, I'm, I'm helping as many people as I can, but it's all about being leading by example and also being vulnerable, allowing myself to be vulnerable and talking about it online so that more of our people can understand it's okay to feel down and reach out and talk about it and ask for help. Um, so that's really, I guess, my secret. I've never thought about what the secret is, but I think that's, that's one of them. <laughs> Well, you know, with vulnerability comes trust, doesn't it? So you've probably got people who see you as a role model and, and they trust you, so therefore they're more likely to kind of engage with what you're trying to help them with. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, definitely, you know, I'm very open with um, the trials and tribulations of my life and what I go through on a daily basis and I, and I share it, you know, because, yeah, again, you know, I want people to know they're not alone. They're not the only ones feeling this way. I know, David, you've told your story many times, but for our listeners on Take It From Us, tell tell us how you arrived at a place in your life where you knew that you just had to make some changes. Really, a couple of times in my life where I've gone through, you know, some dark times, hopefully touch wood, touch wood, never again. But at least if I know, I, I, if I go through some times again, I'll understand, you know, how to get through it. Uh, the first time was I was 21. My father was the, he was the president of a gang called the Mongol Mob of the Auckland chapter. So I went through a lot of things as a kid. I saw a lot of stuff that wasn't normal, but, uh, you know, he went to jail when I was five. I didn't understand. And, you know, it was just, it wasn't everything. Everything I was going through was normal, was normalized. But at 21, he went to jail again for cultivating marijuana. 
And I fully understood the repercussions of his actions, you know. I, I got it and I understood what this meant for me, my two younger sisters and my mum. So I went right off the rails at that time. I was at uni, I quit uni. I quit my job and I ended up living in the tinny house in Mangere, you know, selling drugs and fighting and just living a really out there lifestyle. The reason I was doing it in boxing, I played a character of a bad guy. This was the first time in real life I was playing a character of a bad guy because I wanted to make sure that, um, you know, all the men in my family that were in New Zealand were gone, my, both in prison, my uncle and my dad. You know, my uncle was serving 15 years in Paremaremo, so it was only me there. So I thought, okay, I have to build a reputation so that no one will come near my mum. And that's what I did. And, you know, I was very angry, you know, I was so angry with the world. I had a chip on both shoulders and just very fiery and 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 sad. And I, I came home one night, I was really drunk because I was, you know, I was, I was taking anything and drinking a lot. And I, I went into the kitchen and I, uh, I, I took out a steak knife from the kitchen drawer and I put it into my chest. Um, yeah, you know, I was just angry and in a bad place mentally. I never really thought about it, um, about doing it. And then I just remember waking up in hospital and my mum's there crying and, you know, I just trying to tell her, don't worry, it's just I was just drunk, you know. And then they brought in my dad later on with two prison guards. I didn't want to see him because I was still so angry with him. And uh, they send her around a shrink to evaluate you when, you know, things like this happen. But I just told her what she wanted to hear. I'd actually done two papers of psychology at uni. So, you know, just told them what they wanted to hear. And I, I got out. You know, I always remember this moment. I talk about it often where I was on, on the doorstep, the back doorstep of this tiny house in Mangere. And I just looked up at the sky and I think, man, surely this is not it, you know. Surely, you know, I'm not not religious, but I believe in God. And I thought, surely, God, there's, there's something more for me than this. I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't selling drugs and fighting all the time and just living this life I was, being a loser. And uh, I got up, you know, I just made a decision that's enough and got up and I and I got to work. You know, I always tell people not to dwell at the bottom, you know, and, and feel sorry for ourselves and wait for the system. Unfortunately, this, if we're waiting for the system over here, we're waiting all our lives, you know. Mm. Um, so I was very lucky, though. I had a good family around me still, you know, that could that could pluck me out of the situations. My, I remember my cousin coming around to that tinny house because I was still up to no good, um, you know, and, I, and he came in. I didn't have, I couldn't be contacted, so he's, he had a phone. And he came over and his dad rang him and took, said, pack your bags, you're going to Australia, you know. So I, could, I was plucked out of that situation, you know. And some people over here don't have that luxury. You know, some people going through the, the struggle don't have that luxury, but I still had to make the most of that opportunity. And from that doorstep, I ended up um, playing league in Australia for North Sydney Bears. I played league in France. I was contracted for Manly. Um, ended up owning some supermarkets and owning some businesses. And you think that was the happy ending, but unfortunately that leads me to the second time in my life. I went through some tough times. And look, I made a whole bunch of mistakes and ended up losing it all. And, um, you know, in 2014, I moved back here with not one cent, without my family. My partner left me, and I don't blame her. We broke up because I was an idiot, you know, doing doing stupid stuff. And I was living at my sister's house, staying, uh, sleeping on my niece's bed that I couldn't fit on. And I was staring at the roof, the same thing I had when I was on that doorstep at that tinny house. And I went, oh, man. And Mike King talks a lot about it a lot, that inner critic, you know. The inner critic inside my head was deafening. It was just telling me, how did you manage to F things up so badly? You idiots. You had it all. You know, when you have nothing and then have a lot and then lose it all, it's, it's quite humbling. But again, I, I didn't dwell at the bottom. I didn't stay on that bed. I got up and I went for a walk, and that's how the journey started to here. Take it from us. Uh, we're talking with Dave Latelli, who has a very inspiring story for us. Dave, you lost over 100 kilos. How did you do it? I stopped drinking fizzy drinks, eating rubbish every day, and I went for a walk. <laughs> people are always looking for the secret. You know, people ask me, Dave, what's the secret? What's the secret to this? And, uh, you know, they're always hoping that I tell them, take this pill and stand on one of those machines that shake you about. <laughs> it's just, look, it took hard work and consistency. Um and, and that's how I lost 100 kilos, but more importantly, it's how I've managed to keep most 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 of it off. 
Yeah, it's that's the sustainable weight loss. That's that's the key part, isn't it? And look, I, I hear what you're saying too about people wanting that magic pill that the that the kind of the silver bullet. There isn't one, is there? But if you can make small, did you find if you just made small changes that over time there was that kind of snowball effect where you got on a bit of a roll? Yeah, it was really just bit by bit. You know, I always said baby steps will still get you up the mountain. Um, we get too focused on quick results. And then when they don't happen, we get upset, you know. Um, you know, I started helping a guy that's that was, uh, you know, two weeks ago, 320 kilos. He's lost 11 kilos in those two weeks, but it's there to lose, you know. So no. I'm really trying to let him know that you can't uh, expect these big results all the time because it's really is what you what's happening inside you that you can't see all that goodness that's happening inside you by eating well and drinking water and moving. And it is a bit by bit thing. And when you ha- when you lose it that way, you're more able to maintain it. And I mean, eleven kilos in two weeks. Wow, that's a heck of a lot of weight yeah, to be it's losing. Dead, so. It's there, but, like the guy's three hundred and twenty kilos. You know? <laughs> but uh, I hope he can see. Wow, that's progress. That's real yeah, yeah. progress. Well, I had that talk to him yesterday. Cause it's all about a mindset. So you know, my, this whole thing. I don't teach people how to lose weight. I just try and teach people how to live a healthy lifestyle and mm. get the mindset right around food and exercise. Um, you know, he was drinking uh, three litres of fizzy drinks every day. And when he tells me it's three litres, probably more than likely five or six, you know, and he went through some really massive withdrawals, but he, he pushed through it. And I just spoke to him yesterday when we tra- after we trained. I said, man, just imagine if you keep going, you know, imagine where you'll be at the end of the year. You'll look back and say, man, I'm so proud of myself, you know. That's what it's about. You know, he's lost his weight, but for me, looking at him, the weight loss is like the wow. You know, I posted up on Facebook, everyone's wow. It's amazing. But what's more amazing is he's actually happy. You know, he's losing weight and being happy because you can lose weight and be miserable. You know, so, um, yeah, it's all about, you know, he feels better about himself. He's more confident. And that, that's really the, the, the amazing things. And his story, is that relatively common? from the people that you've been working with? Yeah, there's, unfortunately, there's an endless supply of people trying to reach out. And I, unfortunately, I can't help them all, you know. And I just so happened to, um, with him, he'd messaged me two years ago uh, and asked me where we are, and I sent him a timetable. So not two years ago, uh, back in 2017. So what's that? Five years ago. And I sent him a time, and I looked at the message, you know, and it was, yeah, it was, I saw the time he never came. It took him that long to finally work up the courage to come along. And I'm not normally there on a Tuesday and Thursday. And I, and I just so happened to be there. It was fate, you know. I just happened to be at the gym when he turned up. For him there, I went, oh, man, this guy is, you know. So I stayed there with him. I trained with him. So um, just to really monitor. It's quite dangerous, you know, someone that big being. Um, and it's hard for the trainer to focus on a class of 30 and also have to watch out for the bro there. So I stayed there, and then we just started training one-on-one. Uh, and he'll filter into our program called From the Couch, which is a Ministry of Health-funded program. <laughs> Finally, last year, late last year, we got some support from the Ministry of Health, and it's uh, it's been a long time coming, but I believe it's, um, it's a game-changer. From the Couch, tell us a little more about the program. From the Couch started with me going to people's houses, training them on their couch. And the, the whole idea of it is to get them from the couch, you know, get them out the house, um, and so that's what we did. I, I, we're doing it at the gym at one of our community hubs in Monaco, and we've got these big benches and they can work out from sitting down and all the exercises are, are designed just from the work that I've done in the past, really from the ground up. It's uh, really basic, just trying to build up some strength and, and conditioning slowly, slowly, but surely, and, in, and also... Um, you know, it's a nutrition component in there as well. With one of the sessions, it's, it's all nutrition and then cooking class. Just trying to teach people how to eat healthy on a budget, how to shop healthy on a budget, how to make the best choices that were available to me. Because when I started, I had no money, but I was educated into how to make the best choices. You know, so you can't use the ex- excuse to me that it's expensive to eat healthy. I know it is, but if you're educated on how to make the be- better choices, you can still do it. And, and if you're if you're buying healthy food and eating healthy for say breakfast, lunch, and dinner, presumably you're not snacking as much in between. So you're actually saving money, potentially saving money in the long run. Why not? What grab stopping at the bakery or stopping at a fast food restaurant yeah. in the afternoon? Well, KFC is not cheap, you know. Mm. KFC is not cheap. All those things are no, they're not cheap, but um, 
So, yeah, you know, we make sure that we're, we're eating regular, eating good meals, eating good food, and you, you notice the results straight away in terms of how you feel. You just feel amazing. And I said, well, you know, you're putting good fuel into your body. You're not putting crap. So your body's responding. It's interesting you mention those fast food places because I think the perception, there is a perception that it's cheap because it's fast food, it's quick, it's easy, it's takeaways. But you're right, it's not cheap. So how do we change the perception to enable people and, and empower people to go to the supermarket, do a little bit of maths if they can, and, and work out that feeding a family from the supermarket can be cheaper than going out and buying fast food all the time? It's all about education. Some, the, the knowledge, that knowledge is not long, no longer being passed down. People are so busy these days. So you've got, you know, you've got people who don't care, um, and unfortunately it's their children that suffer. And then you've got you know, people that are just far too busy trying to survive. The cost of living these days is astronomical. So they're, they're far too busy on the grind. Uh, they're coming home. What's the easiest option? They get rubbish. And it's not just the, the chains. It's, it's everything, you know. And, and so those things are okay as a treat, but problem is that our people are eating all the time and then, and then fizzy drinks, drinking fizzy drinks all the time and the cycle continues. How do you keep yourself in, in good shape and how do you get a clear mind with, with the lifestyle and the busy schedule that you have? Oh, look, it's very hard, but I, I just focus, you know, I, I always, you know, in the past I would turn to, to food, you know, when I was going through tough times I'd turn to food or, or alcohol, but now I, I turn to training. You know, I train. I feel better while I'm training. I always think training saved my life. Um, you know, at the start of my journey, I, I'd, I'd feel good while I was training, but then, in, you know, when I wasn't, I'd think about driving into poles. So I train all the time, you know, so it's to keep my mind off it. And same now, you know, I still get very depressed now and very down. Uh, so I just make sure I train every day uh, in the morning. You know, I do it around my friends, around, you know, people that I, you know, I really get along with and we like our therapy sessions. That's our going to the pub. We don't go to the pub anymore. We go and train. <laughs> and the vulnerability that you talk, talked about a few minutes ago and the fact that you're talking and you talk so openly and honestly about your history and even now that you're feeling depressed here and there and, and, and whatever, um, does it get, do you find it gets easier to be, to be honest and open and to talk to people? It gets easier? It, it definitely gets easier to talk about it. You don't have to do it publicly, but it definitely get, it's easier to talk to other people once you open up. The problem with a lot of the people that we that we serve in the community is, you know, it's, it's they're too proud to ask for help. And so that's one of the reasons I'm really open hmm. because um, there's nothing nothing wrong with asking for help. You know, it's it's, it's not a sign of weakness; it's a sign of strength. Hmm. You know, so we we continually talk about that in our group and in, in person at our our boot camps. Just again. You know, our boot camps is exercise, that's our vehicle, but the whole time I ha I'm in front of people, I'm trying to seed I'm trying to seed these messages so that people can just start thinking different. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I, I find it inspiring, Dave, that there are so many people, yourself included, out there who are willing to listen and, and who can help. If, if people just are brave enough and courageous enough to ask for help, put their hand up, pe people are there like that, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. There are people out there that really do care, mm. um, you know, about you. You know, so yeah, you just but it starts with you reaching out. I, I saw you shaking hands with Simon from Ember the other day about a new partnership. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's it's, it's an awesome collaboration that yeah, that you know we've been talking about uh, last year, and then all the stuff with COVID's been happening. So he's uh you know he's really pragmatic, and he said, "Let's just do this." I said, "Man, let's do it." Got up and he came over, and you know it's a start to I think a wonderful collaboration where we can um, help each other. You know, that's what it's about, helping, helping um, you know, both of our communities, you know, work into each other's strengths. So that's what it's about. What are you most optimistic about? Uh, long term, I'd, li I'd like to, um, you know, BBM to be uh, throughout the system, throughout the country, but not be confined by the system. I think the way that we've managed to do this in terms of getting funding from the likes of uh, Ministry of Health and MSD is that it hasn't, you know, we haven't chased it. Uh, especially with the Ministry of Health, they've come to us. They've understood that what, you know, what's currently happening is not working, so we need to, they need to think outside the box. And they've, um, you know, supported us for two years to really get a, you know, evaluate it and see what why it works, what works, what doesn't work. And by the end of the two years, we'll have, a, we'll have our own health model that can be scaled out nationwide and, 
that's what I'm hopeful for. And we're putting in the work to make it happen. Uh, you know, we're starting out in Tukaroa. We I signed a lease to open up down there. And that's the, the start of one of many. Mm. And that's my goal, to be in every sort of, everywhere where there's a, a deprived area with any social issue is where we need to be because we're a place of hope. Mm. And, and hope counts. And it, it's just so important. And Dave, just a final thought for people that are listening to our program today and they're doing it tough and it's life's, nice, life's not going well for them at the moment. They find themselves beating themselves up or in a state of, of distress. What's your message for them? Oh, you know, don't beat yourself up. There's enough people in this world to do that for you. You know, don't be your biggest critic. Be your own biggest fan, you know. And I always continually say to our team, get up, keep getting up, because success is only just around the corner, but you never know if you keep giving up. You know, I, I think about it now often, you know, when I'm in bed at night, I think, man, if I'd given up eight years ago, where would these kids be getting their food from now and going to sleep with full stomachs? You know, what the impact that we've had because I, I decided to get up and continually get up, you know, it's, it's now helping tens of thousands of people. So, you know, you just got to keep getting up. And I'll just finish with the four things I always say, four tips to uh, the way that I live and we teach is, number one, just start. Don't overthink it. You know, too often in anything in life, whether it's health or work or, or any ideas, whatever, you we overthink things. I've visited so many people in hospital that, you know, some of them never made it out. And every single person that I visited, that give absolutely anything to have an opportunity to go back in time and start. You know, so while you have an opportunity, don't waste it. Get up, start. Second thing is staying consistent. Understanding life sucks sometimes, and sometimes it sucks more than it's any good. Um, but consistency is all about when you get knocked down, what do you do, bro? When you get knocked down, what do you do? Got to get back up. 100%. That's what consistency is about, getting up all the time. Um, you know, the third thing is surrounding yourself with positive people. If you surround yourself with five idiots, what does that make you? Mm. The sixth, mm. you know, surround yourself with five people that only want the best for you, you know, that, and they'll continually pick you up and they'll be there for you. They're not there for anything else but you. And the last thing is no excuses. You know, I believe in it so much tattooed on my back. It could have easily been a Mongol mob tattoo, mm. but no excuses tattoo. And it's, it's easy to say it's a whole other thing to live by. And the, the way that I do all of these things is by having a strong why and a strong purpose. My why when I started was having getting my kids back. I have all my kids back now. I have a new wife, new son. So my why is being the best example for my family and for my people. And that's always enough when I fall off because no one's perfect. You will fall off. And your why won't always work. It won't always stop you from going to a drive through or whatever but it should always get you back on the wagon, you know, and, and, and that's the way I live. So hopefully those those four tips help you. Well, man, you're inspiring plenty of people, Dave, and you're doing some great work. And so keep it keep it rolling. I know that you're tired, but you're doing you're doing some great things in the community. It is greatly appreciated as it is that you're on our program. And, and thanks for kicking us off for us. Really thanks, appreciate bro. it. Thanks, bro. All the best. No excuses. <laughs>
was it Dave Telly told us just a few minutes ago? When you get down, you get back up. That was Chumbawamba with tub thumping. I'm going to guess that would have been mid to late 90s, that track. It reminds me of being out with my mates on a Saturday. Yeah, and it was a, it was a pumping tune. So I think uh, Dave's got a good message in there. If we get knocked down, we get up again. Good track, Karen. Let's talk about anxiety. This is an often heard word these days. It's basically an umbrella term for how a lot of us would like to describe perhaps our feelings, our worries, our concerns, our fears. A lot of that is out there at the moment, uh, particularly over the last couple of years. People's fears and worries have really been brought up to the top of the surface. You will hear this word anxiety an awful lot. It's time to talk about it because it's an important issue to discuss. So with us on the program is Dougal Sutherland. Dougal is a registered clinical psychologist with 20 years of experience. He's an associate at Umbrella Health. He provides workshops on well-being, resilience and mental health awareness, not only to the government, but also in the corporate sector as well. And he whacks on another hat just for good measure. He is the clinical practice manager at Victoria University. Dougal, so great to have you on the program. We really appreciate your time today. How are you doing? Good mate. Thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be on. You're obviously a busy man. How, how do you go with your daily work schedule? Um, I go okay. I I make a lot of use of my diary, and stick to that fairly religiously. Um, but but you know I'm I'm okay working from home. It's a bit flexible, mm. and and um, and that's okay too. So yeah, it's taken me a good twenty years of getting that under <laughs> under control though. Yeah. How would you define anxiety? As you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's two bits to anxiety. Firstly is there's the, the mental part, the thinking process. That's when you worry, you think about things more than you want to or more than probably you should. So there's that that, that mm. mental bit. The, we, we might call that the cognitive bit. Then there's also like physical symptoms. Um, so, you know, lots of people with anxiety might get headaches or stomach aches or sweating or um, just feeling really on edge, nervous, can't, oh, my God, I can't get to sleep would be another one. Sleep's often disrupted. Mm. Um, so that, that's sort of like a clinical definition of anxiety, if you if you like. But I think it's really important to, to, to note that anxiety is a natural emotion. We all get anxious from time to time, and it's not a bad thing in itself when people feel anxious because it is actually your body's warning system. And in these current times, I think that it's quite natural to feel somewhat anxious, Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean there's anything in quotes wrong with you. It just means there are things around you that are potentially dangerous to you, like I don't know, COVID or a virus, being, a virus or yeah. being down on the parliamentary forecourts would also be a, somewhere that might make you anxious. So, so I think it's really important that people don't think just because they're feeling anxious or worried that there is something wrong with them in quotes, that it is normal uh, mm. and we all get it. Um, and sometimes we get it more than we want it or more than is helpful. Uh, and those might be the times you get some assistance for it. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and anxiety when it goes to its top level where, where people are really suffering badly. What, what are we talking here about? What that could potentially lead to? Oh, look, I think it, 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 it can be really debilitating for people, I think. Um, uh, worst case scenarios are people don't get out of the house. You know, mm. they can't leave the house because they're so filled with worry and, and, and torment, I would almost say, about uh, it could be about a bunch of things. It could be about what what will other people think of me? Oh my god! You know, uh, you know, uh, they'll say all, they'll think these terrible things about me, or say these terrible things about me, or maybe I'm worried that I'll go out of the house and have a panic attack, and that, I, that something terrible will happen to me, something really embarrassing, like I'll faint or collapse, or or and I just can't go out, and it's safer to be at home. So it's almost like the walls of your life just slowly, slowly shrink in so that you your safe zone becomes your house or even worse, your room. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do go out, you tolerate that with a – tolerate it and perhaps quotes you – you go through that with a fairly high level of distress. And it, mm-hmm. you know, we know that it upsets people's sleep. Uh, we know it upsets their appetite. We know it upsets their relationships because you get people can get uh, irritable and grumpy when they're anxious, and that's not great for when we're trying to uh, get on with other people. Mm. You, you often hear, and I, look, I would have used this phrase myself. You know, suffering from anxiety yeah. is suffering the right terminology. Yeah, oh, look, I think it is. I, I, I think um, 
I think when it's really ramped up there, I think it is a, it's definitely a form of suffering, not only not only mental suffering but physical suffering as well. I think the mental part is the hardest because of course you know you can't see that just just like with any psychological uh, condition you can't you can't see that so so you might on the surface look fine. Um, and I think that's true for any mental uh, health difficulties is that people look at you and you look okay. Um, whereas if I, if I presented, you know, as I, I had a broken leg or my arm on a cast, people can go, oh, there's something wrong with you, we need to help you. But if I look okay on the outside, really is it that much of a problem? And I think there's that hidden element of, of suffering for people with anxieties that often others just don't see it. Uh, and, th- and that makes, because that's an isolating factor then. People, you feel alone mm. because nobody understands because they can't see it. And, and, and none of us are particularly good at p- putting our hands up and going, oh, I'm really anxious. Uh, can you help me? It's, that's not what we do so much. Mm. I'm not so, it'd be great if we did, but we don't do it so much. I mean, do. you've been around for 20 years now and, and as, a, as a leading clinician on this stuff. Do you think that whilst a lot of people do find it hard to put their hand up, that the stigma has been reduced in that time, that we are getting better at, at, at talking about this? Yeah, look, I, I, absolutely I do. And, and I'm particularly heartened by young people, mm. um, you know, coming through. So, so at, at Vic Uni here, you know, have lots to do with students. Um, my daughter's 15, so have lots to do with sort of young people. And they regularly talk about their well-being or their anxiety or, or, or if they're feeling depressed, their depression. Um, and, so, and, and I think that can create a little bit of tension with perhaps uh, an older generation, Gen X and above. I don't know what is above Gen X, baby boomers, I guess. Um, but, you know, that a generation like us perhaps where we weren't brought up being fluent in this, and then you get these young people who are talking about their anxiety all the time, and we kind of go, "Oh, uh, hang on a minute, don't, uh, don't don't say too much. I find that awkward. I don't know how to talk about that." But you know, definitely young people coming through now, are way way more fluent about talking about anxiety than than I think an older generation. A, a younger people also though more. Well, I, was, I was trying to think of the word exposed to things that can cause anxiety, like peer acknowledgement, social media, these sorts of things that have only been around for 15 years. And whilst they're exposed to that, they've also got a better handle on it. Yeah, that, that, that's been a sort of a, an area that, that's, that's got lots of attention recently, this idea maybe that rates of anxiety are higher in young people than they were 20 or 30 years mm. ago. Um, the, the research on that would suggest that it's a bit higher but not hugely higher and that a lot of the increase is actually just because we're talking about it more. Um, and, yeah, sure, young people are dealing with things that we never had to deal with, like, uh, you know, cyberbullying and stuff on the internet, and 20 years ago that didn't exist. Um, you know, you, you, nobody really bullied you over the phone because it took about 20 minutes to, you know, use a rotary phone to dial a phone number. So you wouldn't really bother with it. Um, but now, you know, instant stuff all the time. Uh, people are, you know, you can get messages from friends immediately or, or, or from enemies, perhaps even worse. So I think it's mm. different for young people. But actually, I think if you look back over time, there's always been things to worry about. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I can remember worrying about um, or lots of talk around nuclear war. Uh, and then in the 80s, um, I was a bit young for it, but, you know, that certainly there was the worry about AIDS. So there was a lot, there's always been things to worry about if you want to look for them. Um, and just right now, the, I think the internet certainly does create perhaps a little bit more uh, for young people to deal with, though, than we're used to. Yeah, good point. I mean, you could look at anything, any decade, and there were, there were real-world problems that that would cause us great worry and, and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Perhaps social media in, in the modern age has kind of amplified things. Yeah. So if we if we take an optimistic view and look to the future, mm-hmm. what are the best ways to manage any any problems that we might be feeling, particularly at the moment? Well, look, I, I think the first thing is to acknowledge it. You know, the first thing is to be able to have some sort of practice, and I recommend the sort of a daily practice, or if not daily, every couple of days, where you're able to stop and check in on how you are going. Um, you can't do anything about it until you recognise it, and that's, I think that's, that's particularly uh, important for, for mental health and, and psychological well-being. Uh, our physical bodies will stop us they will give us a message uh, that we need to stop and there's something wrong because, oh, my God, I can't walk on my knee because it's so sore. Um, but we tend to just try and push on through difficult emotions or different uh, difficult mental states. But it's really important to stop and notice 
and actually go, oh, and acknowledge. And, and we know, too, that being able to accurately label your emotional states, so to be able to, to label it and go, do you know what, I'm feeling anxious at the moment, actually helps to reduce the anxiety a little bit. It doesn't make it go away. It's not magic fairy dust, but it does make it, uh, a little less intense. And when it's a little less intense, that creates an opportunity for you to do something about it. Mm. Um, and look, there could be, I always think about mental health as, as a bit like your car going a bit, um, yeah, uh, something goes wrong with your car. If it's, you know, the first thing you might do, you get in your car in the morning and it doesn't go very well, uh, well, well, well you might give the jumper leads or you might ask a friend or something. And, and that's the same for mental health. The first signs is just having a chat with somebody, people that you know. There's lots of community supports out there, your friends, your family, so you don't feel alone. Um, the next step with your car, the jumper leads don't work or, you know, your, 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 your brother-in-law says, oh, we used to do this, uh, see if it'll go there. And, oh, that hasn't worked. So you call the AA and they come out to the roadside. And that might be like going to your GP. Hey, I'm you know I'm struggling a wee bit, and I need a little bit of help. Uh, and your GP might suggest a few things. And then, but if, if your car's really not going great, then you have to take it into the shop. You have to take it into a mechanic, and they look under a, under the hood. And that would be the same as going to see a psychologist. We you know we metaphorically look under your hood. What's going on? How can we help? How what can we help you figure out that you, you know people often want to know why they they're experiencing anxiety and then what to do about it. But that I think the the thing with that I like about psychology is is that it's really uh, it's really aimed to try and give you skills to take away. It's it's actually trying to get you out of therapy in a way because it wants you to be able to take the skills and be able to implement them in your own life. And we know that anxiety is pretty readily treatable. Uh, about 80, 70 to eighty percent of people who experience anxiety or clinical anxiety it can get help for it. So I, I would want to get give people the message. Try and get some help for it if you need it. Don't you? Don't have to live with it. Now mm. I know at the moment that it's difficult. There are wait lists to see psychologists and all that kind of thing. But try and try and try because it is. It can be helped, mm. um, and, and and it's okay. It's all right to have it. We we can help. We really value your time. Uh, thanks for joining us on Take It From Us, Dougal. Appreciate it. This is Take It From Us. Real stories, real life, as told by you. Take it from us. Uh, today's panellists, we've got a couple of really interesting people to talk to on the program. Uh, Daryl Bishop is the Chief Executive of Ember Korowai Takatini, an NGO working in mental health and addictions. Daryl's worked in the mental health addiction sector for over 20 years and is a regular guest on the show. And Edith Moore is with us as well. Edith is a Senior Network Coordinator for the Drive Consumer Network. Drive is a network of people experience of mental distress or addiction, alcohol and other drugs in the county's Monaco area, working to support others in their recovery. Uh, it's great to have you both on the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Daryl, we just heard from David Latelli. Uh, we had a really good chat with him, and he's doing such great work in the community. He's also partnered up with you guys, which I imagine is fairly significant. What is it you're hoping to get out of the partnership with him? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, uh, from the interview, anybody listening will hear how awesome uh, uh, Dave is. I mean, it, it's a fairly easy partnership for us, Kent. We're a, we're a, an organisation, but we're also really committed to our, the communities we work in. So when we come across people like Dave who are working in our communities and are really, really trying to change uh, and address issues that we're really interested in, like mental distress and addiction and people's well-being, and they have such a positive energy like Dave, we, of course, want to work with them and see how we can support each other. So we met with Dave and talked about how we could work together, really, how we could support each other, you know, what we could do for him to support the communities he's working in and how he could help us be better and be more aligned to our community's needs. And so far, fingers crossed, it seems like a perfect marriage. I'm sure he's got lots of ideas for you. He has, yeah. I mean, some of them are a bit scary. I mean, he's 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 quite quite keen to talk about some of our executives' own fitness levels, which I'm a bit worried about what he might have me doing and what he might have our CFO and our COO doing to uh, to role model to the rest of the organisation. But also, you know, an opportunity we have uh, uh, Ember and Dave are supporting the same people. You know, mm. the world mm. is a difficult place. Uh, trauma, distress. And well-being are major, major issues. Dave's doing it one way. We often support people at various levels of that journey too. Uh, so 
I, you know, I, I think he's got so much to offer offer us. So there's loads of opportunities, basically, Ken. And Edith, tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and specifically what is the real issue facing the people that you work with as as it is now at this time? Um, well, of course, you know, um, in this, this COVID times that we're living in, um, the number one thing I think on most of our people's minds is um, managing their safety around this. Um, if they have contracted it or if they are having to isolate, how do they access the resources they need? And so for us, you know, one of the main things that we do is we are navigators. We, we sit in the middle and, and they let us know what their needs are and we can let them know where those resources are. So that's probably the, the number one thing that's on everyone's minds right now is just staying safe and, and getting access to what they need. And how difficult is that to, to get the, the needs met for everybody? Um, it, it can be very challenging. I mean, there are now who are unwell and, um, you know, that the system is, you know, it, it takes a while for people to get what they're, they, they're needing. And so, yeah, just um, managing people's, um, you know, anxieties around that and um, helping them to, to work through it. We have got some workshops coming up. Um, one of the ways that we connect with people is through social media. So we've got a workshop on, on Monday coming up on COVID and anxiety. And then on the Tuesday, we've got one on preparing for COVID. So if you have to go into isolation, what are the steps that you need to be taking? Mm. So, you know, we've moved into more of that online platform to um, support our people in that way as well. Daryl, there's, there's a, a big difference, isn't there, between a system being broken and a system being overwhelmed or stretched to the point of breaking. What's your view on where the system is at right now? I mean, I have fairly strong views that our system hasn't worked in terms of the mental health and addiction system hasn't worked well enough for a long time. So, so I don't think COVID has caused that. I think that we've got a variety of issues, uh, population growth, lack of resource, poor design uh, in terms of the system we work in was designed uh, post the closing of the institutions in the 90s for a set of problems that have changed. Uh, and I think we're and it's not just me, but the whole sector is invested in trying to improve and change the way that mental health is thought of. And you just spoke to Dave. Dave's very much at the top of the cliff, you know, and that's where we need to move more. We need to be thinking about prevention and reducing trauma and dealing dealing with things earlier and better so that more people don't become unwell and, th and those sorts of, of thoughts. And I don't think the system's geared towards that. The system's geared towards treatment and treating the most sick and and mm. that's where we need to change and that's something that we're really invested in I, i'm probably a little bit different to edith in the not not that i don't think what edith just said is crucial and really really important and of course our primary focus is covid but i want our group and our organization and our sector to start thinking post-covid now i think we are facing a mental health a mental well-being crisis uh, as, a, as a society and I think Ember and other groups of people like Ember need to stand up and be counted and, and try and support Aotearoa to look forward and think about how we want to deal with mental distress and mental well-being differently on the back of coming out of COVID. I think every major crisis also gives you an opportunity, Kent. So mm. I think we have an opportunity. I think more people are willing to talk about mental health, mental well-being, mental distress, issues like addiction, uh, so I, I think we've got an opportunity to perhaps build something that's a bit more helpful and a bit more constructive and involves everybody in New Zealand talking about mental well-being, not just when you get sick, but mm. every child in every school, everybody in every workplace. Uh, I, I am a great believer in the writings of a guy called Max Birchwood. Uh, Max, Professor Birchwood, sorry, used to say in his lectures that mental health should be about talking to more people so you treat fewer and so we need to facilitate New Zealand to have endless mental health conversations mm. right through the life span of everybody so that we treat fewer people down the line. Uh, and I think we're ready for that as a country and we're certainly ready to lead that conversation as a sector. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you've actually reminded me of a collaborative that I was um, invited to join last year and they've um, dubbed themselves the Superhero Collective and it was in response to um, some youth suicides in Papakura and um, in Clendon. And so what, what the... Um, the, the thinking is behind that is that it's about the community. There will never be enough counsellors. There will never be enough, you know, mental health staff 
um, to deal with the, the the challenges that these communities are going through. We need these communities, you know, these these um, people within there to upskill themselves so that they can be providing the support to you know the people around them. Because you know, ultimately, we want people that these young people um, trust already to be able to support them and utilizing things like Levar's, um Life Keepers course, upskilling lots of community members so that if something happens within that community, they they can they, they want to develop an app so that they can see where all these life keepers are within the Clendon community, for example, and they can each come in and um, start supporting that person. And so, you know, really communities taking responsibility for the people um, that are that are struggling. And I think that's the future for me. Well, the passion and enthusiasm from both of you is greatly appreciated at this point. And I know there's a lot of work to be doing and we can all do our bit, but with, with leaders like yourselves... Hopefully we'll be okay. And we really wanted to thank you very much both for, for joining us on Take It From Us today. Something knowing we 
that is Take It From Us for today. Very special thanks to Daryl Bishop, to Edith Moore, to Dougal Sutherland and to Dave Vitelli for joining our program. Uh, Karen for producing the show. It's great to uh, to be up and running with this. Very excited we both are. And just to remind you as well, get to our Facebook page, Take It From Us. You can find more information about the program. Please leave a comment as well. Give us some feedback. We will read all of your messages. Uh, you know, we're, we're very grateful to be in this position to present the show to you each and every week. In the meantime, please stay safe, be well, let's look out for each other. We'll talk again next week. You've been listening to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns, produced by Karen Murphy, executive producer Andrew Dewhurst, made with the real stories and voices from our community. And for that, we thank you. For more information on anything you've heard on today's show or for direction on where to seek further advice or assistance, visit our Facebook page, Take It From Us. Scott.